after weeks at sea in the dark bottom of a creaky ship, hundreds of shackled prisoners begin to notice that the sway of the restless ocean, a feeling they had since grown used to, had suddenly come to a stop. The prisoners look around curiously, unsure of what that means or of what to expect. One by one, they are led off the vessel into a new world, a world completely different from any they had ever known. This particular part of this new world was called St. Thomas and it was a central slave trading post on the island of Jamaica. On this voyage, among the prisoners was a small, wiry woman with piercing eyes who went by the name Nanny and while some of her fellow prisoners had already mentally surrendered to their new reality, Nanny was different. Her story would be different. In her lifetime, she would defeat the world's greatest army in multiple battles, free her people, establish free communities, and be named one of the greatest warriors in Caribbean history. This is the story of Nanny of the Maroons. Born to a family of Ashanti warriors in the West African country of Ghana, they fell victim to local tribal wars and as a result were captured and sold to British slave traders. They ended up in St. Thomas, Jamaica, joining many others who had fallen victim to the same predicament. When the full extent of their new reality became apparent to Nanny, she quickly became determined not to settle for it. She started plotting her escape with her brothers and one night as their captor slept, they escaped into the Blue Mountains. Due to its notoriously difficult to access terrain, the Blue Mountains served as refuge for formerly enslaved people who escaped, a place where they formed free communities and existed as free people. Nanny joined these communities and quickly gained a reputation as a military strategies with exceptional leadership abilities. In 1720, Nanny and one of her brothers, Cuello, started one such community, Nanny Town. True to its founder's reputation as a military strategist, Nanny Town had a strategic location that could only be accessed by crossing a river. The community stood 900 feet above that river, making a surprise attack by the British extremely difficult. Beyond that, accessing Nanny Town would require an army to cross a narrow ridge that was only wide enough for two soldiers at a time. Brilliant military strategist that she was, she instituted the use of the abeng, a horn made of cattle horns that allowed the maroons to communicate over vast distances. Nanny's lookouts were able to warn her of troops amassing at great distances, giving the maroons ample time to prepare and ambush them. This became an advantage that the British could neither understand nor match. Because of these factors, Nanny Town became a thriving, self-sufficient community and the legend of its leader grew immensely both in folklore and in official British records. 
Nanny Town and similar societies survived by sending merchants to neighboring towns to trade food for weapons and supplies. They were also known for invading plantations for food and weapons. During these raids, they would free the enslaved, burn the plantations, and brought these newly freed people into maroon communities. She was exceptional at planning freedom campaigns. In her life, she freed hundreds of people, growing the maroon communities and armies exponentially. Her stature rose to the level of a deity in the black community. However, for the people whom slavery was a business, stomping out the great nanny was a top priority. Her legend in the Maroon communities surged during the First Maroon War from 1720 to 1739. Nanny and her brothers, who had formed their own Maroon communities, banded together with other Maroon leaders forming rebel armies to fight the British. During the long stretches of warfare, the British enjoyed many embarrassing losses, and after failing to defeat the Maroons in war, they sought a truce. On April 20th, 1740, an agreement was reached. The pact stopped the wars and formally recognized the free maroon communities, including Nannytown, which had 500 acres recognized as an officially free town. However, even with the treaty negotiated and with the official end of hostilities, taking down Nanny was still a major priority for the British government, who had been thoroughly embarrassed by the brilliant general. They employed the services of freed blacks who could infiltrate Nannytown without raising suspicions. It was from these ranks that the man who would assassinate Nanny would arise. His name, William Cuffey, also known as Captain Sambo. In 1733, during the war, Captain Sambo was rewarded by the British government for fighting against the Maroons with freedom for himself and his family. Sambo became the leader of a notorious group of black British special operations troops called the Black Shots. These were mostly formerly enslaved men who were now under the employment of the British. In the early 1750s, Captain Sambo and his regiment infiltrated Nannytown under the guise of seeking refuge after a botched raid on a plantation. As soon as they crossed the river, they attacked and fought their way to the town center. Nannytown, shaken by the surprise attack, took time to recover and suffered many losses before gaining control of the battle. The town would survive to fight another day, however, Nanny did not. As she was engaged in battle, Captain Sambo came up behind her and plunged his knife in her back, effectively ending the life of one of Jamaica's greatest heroes. If the goal of the British government was to kill the legacy of Nanny with that knife, they failed miserably. Today, she remains an influential, iconic figure and a symbol of resistance in Jamaican history. On March 31, 1982, Nanny of the Maroons was conferred the Order of the National Hero by the Jamaican government, an extremely important distinction only held by seven other people, including the likes of Paul Bogle and Marcus Garvey. Her face graces Jamaica's $500 bill, a daily reminder of her iconic status. <laughs>